Chapter Forty Five, Part Three of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years Recollections of P. T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 45, A Story Chapter, Part 3. Calling one day in one of the principal hotels in Dublin, I noticed among the rules framed and hung in the coffee room for the warning, instruction, or entertainment of the guests of the house, the following no gambling or politics will be allowed to take place in this house by any parties whatsoever how politics could take place in an irish hotel or elsewhere would have been a mystery to me if i did not remember that the scrimmages and rows which often follow the mere discussion of politics seemed to warrant the landlord in classing politics with gambling or any other dangerous amusement which might take place in the coffee-room of an irish inn speaking of irishmen i am reminded of an illustration of ready irish wit which is located on the line of the boston and finchburg railroad some years ago the rev thomas whitmore a wealthy universalist minister who was a large stakeholder in the road was appointed president of the company and as he was exceedingly conscientious in the discharge of his duty he once took upon himself to walk over every foot of the route to see if every part of the road was in complete order walking along in this way and alone he came to a place where a loose rail lay alongside of the track and seeing an irishman near by who was apparently employed on the road mr whitmore called out to him here pat pick up this rail and lay it alongside of the fence out of the way till it is wanted it never occurred to mr whitmore that every man whom he met did not know him and his official position but pat not dreaming that his virtual employer the president of the railroad company was giving him an order sharply answered just go to the devil will ye my dear friend said the smiling whitmore who instantly comprehended the situation that is that pat did not know him and no particular wonder either go to the devil why that is the last place i should desire to go and faith and i think it's the last place you will be going to responded pat of railroads and railroad travel and employees i have heard and told no end of stories but one of the latest and best i think is told of a man in a town down east who had some difficulty with a conductor and vowed that not another cent of his money should ever go into the treasury of that company but 
said the conductor of the road you own property in one place on the line and do business in another place and are obliged to go back and forth almost every day how are you going to help paying something to the company oh hereafter i shall pay my fare to you in the cars was the reply it might be a joke but conductors themselves that is some of them are more or less fictitious on the subject of what in the vernacular is known as knocking down soon after the conductors on the new york and new haven railroad were put in costume while on duty and were obliged to wear a badge bearing the initials of the company my friend reverend dr chapin was accompanying me over the road to my bridgeport home when along came a conductor whom we both knew well to collect our fares ah i see said dr chapin pointing to the letters on the new badge n h n y neither here nor yonder no whispered the conductor confidentially to the doctor's ear it means new house next year it is scarcely necessary to tell the thousands who knew dr chapin that he is a man of most ready wit and an inveterate punster one day when we were dining together i was carving a chicken which the doctor pronounced a heinous offence when after having some difficulty with a tough wing i exclaimed how shall i get the thing off anyhow pull it gravely answered the doctor exactly said i then began what the doctor called a battle of the spurs i trying to crow over the doctor and he endeavoring to upset my calculations urging me meanwhile to scratch away till at last i told him if he made another pun on that lay he would knock me off the roost oh then said the doctor finally feathering his nest shan't i clear an equally foul pun of the doctor's was perpetrated in cold blood or rather in very cold water down at rockport massachusetts thither every summer season were wont to congregate for their vacation and celebrated clergymen as star king dr chapin and others mainly for the fine sea bathing there one season dr chapin arrived at least a fortnight behind the rest and when they went down bathing together the acclaimed visitors pronounced the water to be delightful just right and so on but isn't it cold asked dr chapin oh no replied star king you have only to go down and up twice and you are warm enough ah i see how it is said dr chapin who tried the experiment and came up half frozen you are warm after down and up twice why is that a pair o ducks fowls naturally suggest the market and this brings to mind a neighbor of mine in new york who keeps two things a boarding-house and bad hours 
his wife justly suspected him of gambling but he generally managed to get in before midnight and always had money enough in his pocket to go to market within the morning on one occasion however after gambling all night he did not come home till six o'clock in the morning when after a sound scolding from his wife for staying out all night and gambling as she insisted he was sent to the market to get something for breakfast returning he was again berated by his wife for gambling protesting all the while that he had been spending the night with a sick friend his wife might have believed him if he had not sat down at the head of the table half asleep and solemnly passed the bread to the nearest border with the exclamation cut that's your sick friend exclaimed the wife while a general roar around the table woke the host to the fact that he was passing bread and not a pack of cards this story-telling carries me back to my boyhood days at bethel and brings to mind an old clerical acquaintance whom i knew long before i met dr chapin the rev richard verrett day who resided at greenfield connecticut was in the habit of coming to bethel to preach on sabbath evenings he was a very eloquent preacher and an eccentric man he possessed fine talents his sermons were rich in pathos and wit and he was exceedingly popular with the world's people the more straight-laced however were afraid of him his remarks both in and out of the pulpit would frequently rub hard against some popular dogma or knock in the head some favorite religious tenant mr day was therefore frequently in hot water with the church and was either suspended or about to be brought to trial for some alleged breach of ministerial duty or some suspected hearsay while thus debarred from preaching he felt that he must do something to support his family with this view he visited bethel danbury and other towns and delivered lectures at the termination of which contributions for his benefit were taken up i remember his lecturing in bethel on charity this discourse overflowed with eloquence and pathos and terminated in a contribution of more than fifty dollars it was said that on one occasion mr day was about to be tried before an ecclesiastical body at milton there being no railroads in those days many persons travelled on horseback two days before the trial was to take place mr day started for middletown alone and on horseback his valet was fastened behind the saddle and putting on his large greatcoat surmounted with a half a dozen broad capes as was the fashion of that period and donning a broad-brimmed hat he mounted his horse and started for the scene of trial on the second day of his journey and some ten miles before reaching middleton he overtook a brother clergyman also on horseback who was 
wending his way to the consocation he was a man perhaps sixty years of age and his silvered look stood out like porcupine quills his iron visage which seemed never to have worn a smile his sinister expression small keen selfish-looking eyes and compressed lips convinced mr day that he had no hope of mercy from that man as one of his judges the reverend gentleman soon fell into conversation the sanctimonious clergyman gave his name and residence and inquired those of mr day my friend is mr richard replied reverend richard v day and my residence is fairfield grinfield is a parish in the town of fairfield ah exclaimed the other clergyman then you live near mr day do you know him perfectly well responded the eccentric richard well what do you think of him inquired the anxious brother he is a wide-awake cunning fellow one whom i should be sorry to offend for i would not like to fall into his clutches but if compelled to do so i could divulge some things which would astonish our consolation is it possible well of course your duty to the church and the redeemer's cause will prompt you to make a clean breast of it and divulge everything you know against the accused responded the excited clergyman it is hard to destroy a brother's reputation and break up the peace of his family answered the meek mr richard it is the duty of the elect to expose and punish the reprobates replied the sturdy puritan but i had not better first tell our brother his fault and give him an opportunity to confess and be forgiven our brother as you call him is undoubtedly a heretic and the true faith is wounded by his presence among us the church may be purged from unbelief we must beware of those who would introduce damnable hearsays are you sure that mr day is an unbeliever inquired the modest mr richard i have heard that he throws doubt upon the trinity shrugs his shoulders at some portions of the saybrook platform and has said that even reprobates may sincerely repent pray for forgiveness and be saved a that he even doubts the damnation of unregenerate infants horrible ejaculated mr richard yes horrible indeed but i trust that our consolation will excommunicate him at once and forever but what do you know concerning his belief i know nothing specially against his belief responded mr richard but i have witnessed some of his acts which i should be almost sorry to expose a mistaken charity it is your duty to tell the consecration all you know regarding the culprit and i shall insist upon you doing so i certainly desire to do that which is right and just and 
as i am but young in the ministry i shall defer to your judgment founded on age and experience but i would prefer at first to state to you what i know and then will be guided by your advice in regard to giving any testimony before the consecration a very proper course you can state the facts to me and i will give you my counsel now what do you know i know that on more than one occasion i have caught him in the act of kissing my wife replied the injured mr richard i am not at all astonished responded the clergyman such conduct coincides exactly with the opinion i had formed of the man i commiserate you sir but i honour your sense of duty in divulging such important facts even at the expense of exposing serious troubles in your domestic relations but sir justice must have its course these facts must be testified to before the consecration do you know anything else against the delinquent i know something more but it is of a nature so delicate and concerns me personally so seriously that i must decline divulging it sir you cannot do that i will not permit it but you will insist on your telling the whole truth before our consecration though your heart-strings were to break in consequence i repeat sir that i sympathize with you personally but personal feelings must be swallowed up in the promotion of public good no sympathy for an individual can be permitted to clash with the interests of the true church you had better tell me sir all you know since you say that duty requires it i will do so i have caught him under very suspicious circumstances in my wife's bedroom said the unfortunate mr richard was your wife in bed inquired the man with the iron face she was faintly lisped the almost swooning mr richard enough enough was the response our consecration will soon dispose of the reverend richard v day the two clergymen had now arrived at middleton the reverend mr vinegar face rode to the parsonage while mr day alias mr richard went to a small and obscure inn the consecration commenced the next day the ecclesiastical body was soon organized and after disposing of several minor questions it was proposed to take up the charges of hearsay against the reverend mr day the accused with a most demure countenance was conversing with his quondam travelling companion of the day previous who upon hearing this proposition instantly sprang to his feet and informed the reverend chairman that providentially he had been put in possession of facts which must necessarily result in the immediate expulsion of the culprit from the church and save the necessity of examining testimony on the question of hearsay in fact continued he 
I am prepared to prove that Reverend Richard V. Day has frequently kissed the wife of one of our brethren, and has also been caught in a situation which affords strong evidence of his being guilty of the crime of adultery. A thrill of horror and surprise ran through the assembly. Every eye was turned to Mr. Day, who was seated so closely to the last speaker that he touched him as he resumed his seat. Mr. Day's countenance was as placid as a May morning, and it required keen vision to detect the lurking smile of satisfaction that peeped from a corner of his eye. A few minutes of dead silence elapsed. "'Produce your witnesses,' finally said the chairman, in an almost sceptral voice. I call on the Reverend Mr. Richard of Fairfield to collaborate under oath the charges which I have made, responded the hard-visaged Puritan. Not a person moved. Mr. Day looked as unconcerned as if he was an utter stranger to all present and understood not the language which they were speaking. "'Where is the Reverend Mr. Richard?' inquired the venerable chairman. "'Here he is,' responded the accuser, familiarly tapping Mr. Day on the shoulder. The whole audience burst into such a roar of laughter as probably never was heard in a like consultation before. The accuser was almost petrified with astonishment at such inconceivable conduct on the part of that sedate religious assembly. Mr. Day alone maintained the utmost gravity. That, sir, is the Reverend Richard V. Day, replied the chairman, when order was restored. The look of utter dismay which instantly marked the countenance of the accuser threw the assembly into another convulsion of laughter during which mr day's victim withdrew and was not seen again in middleton the charges of hearsay were then brought forward after a brief investigation they were dismissed for want of proof and mr day returned to greenfield triumphant End of chapter forty five Part 3. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.